everybody. Welcome to CRE Eyes Wide Open podcast. I'm your host, Anne Hambly. And today I'm very pleased to have with me Rachel Rothman, who's the head of research for hotels at CBRE. And uh, we got a lot, we have a lot of good things to talk about today. We're going to cover a little bit about the markets and uh, the difference between how independent hotels are doing versus brands and work flexibility and a whole bunch of good things. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. <laughs> well, thank you. So I, uh, we can't start out any kind of podcast, I don't think, without, especially on hotels, without talking about COVID. And I hate to hate, you're probably so sick of talking about that, but have the hotel markets, for the most part, fully recovered from COVID? Or is there still some discussion about COVID recovery in your hotel research? Well, if we're just talking about top line performance metrics, how revenues are for hotels across the United States, we've seen more than a full recovery on average. That said, COVID has shifted the dynamics in how individuals work and how they travel. It also led to changes in where people are domiciled, migration patterns, right? There was the great migration south. And so as you think about where hotels are performing well, where the pockets of strength are, what types of locations, what price points, what geographies, that has changed, even though the U.S. as a whole has more than fully recovered. Are there um, markets that you can refer to off the top of your head that are you know, doing really well and others that are challenges? Absolutely. So we like to talk about the smile markets in the United States. Those oh. on average are doing exceptionally well. Places like oh. Austin, Miami, St. Petersburg, Florida, um, even Tampa, West Palm, Fort Lauderdale, San Diego, um, any place where you saw net migration into those markets or a place where people go for leisure travel or where they go to mix business and pleasure. Those are the markets that are doing well generally. Also drive to leisure destinations, and that could be anything like Santa Fe, New Mexico, Pigeon Ford, Tennessee, Charleston, South Carolina, Virginia Beach, um, any place people can get to for a long weekend. Work flexibility has riven, really driven this trend to um, work from anywhere, stay longer, and it's benefiting drive to leisure destinations within the U.S., when you say, and I think I've heard this before, but I want to make sure we're all clear. When you say smile, um, I think what I envision I saw once was taking a map of the U.S. and starting from about, you know, Southern California, sort of drawing a smile across the whole U.S. and coming back to Florida. Is that what, is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. I guess maybe if I had to, I'm sure it's not yeah. a scientific term, but I think Santa Barbara, maybe to Virginia Beach. Oh, okay. Like that, Good. Or right. Santa Barbara to Myrtle Beach. Yeah. And everything in the lower half. Um, again, benefiting from drive to okay. leisure, leisure in general, um, the workation, net migration, all of these trends have really benefited. Okay. And the ones that are struggling the most, can you reverse that smile and make it a frown going upward? <laughs> it seems almost like we've, like in the Chicago or some of those, you know, uh, top central areas. They're struggling, but that's not my expertise yours. So what are you seeing for ones that are still impacted or struggling? I think markets where people moved out permanently many times um, in the northern U.S., um, maybe some markets with higher taxes or higher costs of living, 
markets where they have struggled with the China lockdown. So for example, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, where you used to get a large percentage of your visitation from overseas and Asia specifically, um, they're not seeing the inbound international traveler in the same way currently. Japan just reopened, um, I think it was a week or two ago, or relaxed their restrictions. That used to be one of the top 10 countries sending people into the U.S., so we would expect that to be a driver of West Coast hotel demand, but really the big gun is China. So as you think about markets that were really dependent or benefited from China travel, those will be the ones that we would expect to benefit the most once they relax their policies. When that is, I'm not sure. I think that's up to the yeah. point to decide. Oh, I've never, yeah, never heard it worded that. I'm sorry. <laughs> never heard it worded that way before. That's actually, you know, where you specific reference to China. That's real interesting. Um, and you talked a lot about leisure and, and uh, you know, that's the one that's come back. Uh, it seems like the most. And I, um, I talk about business travel. Are people, you know, I've, I've seen a number of conferences in, in, you know, uh, in real life, I was going to say, you know, live conferences and people are going back to them, maybe not as full force as they used to, but how does business travel in general fare relative to hospitality? Sure. So let's just break down business travel a little bit. This might be a bit inside baseball, but first there's something called transient business travel, and that might be somebody working in an investment bank or at a big fortune 500 company that used to make two or three trips across the coast, you know, every mm -hmm. month to have a meeting. Then there's group or association business travel, which is still business, right? But that could be anything from doctors to a hotel conference to ULI to any sort of organization or business getting together. Then there's also contract, which is think airline um, staff flying around the country that are on contracted rates at hotels. And then there's government business. And those are your four key components. The segment that's lagging the most is this independent, transient business traveler. And that is because many of those trips, at least currently, are being replaced by Zoom or by Teams or by one-off meetings at conferences. Yeah. Meaning you go to the conference, but you bolt on your meetings around that. And I think that is partially tech disruption. It's partially um, related to the return to office and it's partially probably cost containment. And, you know, you kind of wonder, um, I know for me personally, uh, there was a time when I, a long time ago, when I used to have to, you know, fly to meet someone, you know, just for one-off meeting, right? I did that a lot. Thank God I don't have to do that a lot anymore anyway. But but nowadays, I would imagine, like you said, when you have the ability to have a call like we're having now, you have Zoom, you have all these, do you think it will ever, I mean, that's probably a tough, impossible question to answer, but do you envision this being a temporary issue with the transient business travel? Or do you think it ever, maybe COVID permanently changed it, our technology era has permanently changed it? I think it's probably permanently changed. It doesn't mean that we don't have a future yeah. for business travel, but it may be that teams that are more remote um, will now get together more. So they'll have a two mm. or three day team event. Um, mm. So as opposed to being in the office together on a particular day, they'll meet up at a regional headquarters or at a global headquarters a couple times a year 
or I like you, we both came from big investment banks, right? Instead of mm-hmm. running across the country three times in one mm-hmm. month, I'll go once, but I'll stay two or three days. Right, right. And so the hotel industry could still benefit from that. It could still work out to be the same, but it would represent right. fewer trips back and forth. And I think one of the things you need to consider is the cost of airfare is a very large component of the overall cost of a business trip. Right. And so by eliminating the airfare and staying longer at a hotel, it can still on balance work out positively for the industry. Yeah. It may just take time. Yes, because it's such a huge expense. Huge. Like you said, you know, when you're traveling back and forth just to meet someone one time and now you almost have to um, stop and think about it before you do that from a cost perspective going forward. So so what's, what's this is interesting. And, and I know we're not talking about office today at all. I'm just using that as a contrast, but in the office sector, we're spending a lot of time focused on the permanent probably impact COVID had on whether we go back to the office or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, and I didn't even think about this, that hospitality also has some adjustments uh, or differences long-term because of COVID and just where we all are as an advanced society technologically. Right. Absolutely. I mean, think yeah. about it used to be that business travel had peak days. So for example, Monday night was a peak night, Sunday night was a dead night, mm-hmm. right? And then Wednesday night was a peak night. Everybody flew back on Thursday. Now what you can do is you can manage your yield every single night. Peak nights are Thursday and Sunday because people are taking a long weekend. And mm-hmm. so it has shifted again, back to the idea that we've had a full recovery. It just doesn't look like it used to. So um, I'm sure in middle school, we all talked about the ways you me- measure the average of something. We like to talk about the flaw of averages. No <laughs> asset is the same. Yeah. Right? No asset isn't the same. No geography is the same. No price point is the same. When you evaluate a deal, when you evaluate a development, when you advise a client, you need to very specifically understand where the asset is, how it's positioned, how it's priced, who manages it, what the brand is etc. Because it's not the same. We can't just look and say the industry's recovered. It looks very different than it did during COVID or prior to COVID, even though we have had a quote unquote full recovery. And so let's spend a minute on the brands versus independence. Um, so I don't even know the right questions to ask you relative to that, but could you give us some insight on how those two different types of hotels, you know, fare in general? Sure. So when I went to hotel school at Cornell, you know, 30 years ago plus, um, they used to talk about brands as being occupancy insurance, meaning that the brands help to fill the hotel when times are tough. Um, In more modern times, I would say the last 10 to 15 years, we've really had this proliferation of loyalty points, right? Membership, Bonvoy, Hilton Honors, World of Hyatt, et cetera. And those programs have extended into alliances with airlines, et cetera. And so that allows you to earn and burn points, right? Right. So during the downturn this time during COVID, what we saw is that this adage that branded hotels actually drive higher occupancy was true. People earned their points. They burned their points. A lot of point redemptions at all-inclusive resorts. That's a huge opportunity and a big growth vehicle for many of these brands. Counteracting that, though, is that the younger generation is interested in new, unique, nuanced, activated experiences. 
they're less likely to want to go to sort of a cookie cutter Gen 1 um, hotel product. And so you've seen them merge together in something called a soft brand. And that would be where one of the big brand parents, a Marriott, a Hilton, a Hyatt, develops um, a product type where you bolt on to the reservation and possibly the management system of one of these brands, but your hotel looks and feels like an independent property. Those are called soft branded properties, and that has seen tremendous growth um, over the last 10 years. How would a lay per- I've never even heard of that. This is, I'm, I've learned so much during this podcast with you. Um, if I were logging on to, to, you know, book a hotel reservation, how would I know the difference? Would it look like a, you know, say a Marriott? It will say, but- so for example, Starwood, which is now Marriott, had something called the Luxury yeah. Collection. Marriott has something called the Autograph Collection. Um, and then the other brands have their own, Canopy, Tribute, and so it will mm. say, like, it will give the independent name, and then it will say part of the hey. luxury collection. Oh, got it, got an it. An autograph okay. collection hotel. And it mm. will signify. And so that hotel benefits from the res- reservation system, the loyalty points, all of the membership, um, all the brand. Brand device, recognition. Right? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's super important, but it gets the customer that sort of independent feel. And so you're seeing a lot of growth in that arena. Well, that's interesting. Um, All right. I think um, we have covered, to me, the the main topics I was hoping to cover, but there's probably, I want to throw it back to you and just say, is there anything else relative to sort of hot information um, about your industry, the hotel industry, that you think we haven't covered that would be worth kind of summarizing here at the end of this uh, podcast? Or did we cover the... I mean, I think the only other thing that we get asked about a lot is what the impact of inflation is, because it impacts Mm. hotels in so many ways, right? Inflation does benefit the top line. Hotels are able to raise rates faster. And rate, of course, has the highest flow through to profitability. So they're able to raise their room rates. However, it also means that wages, which are the most costly item in a hotel, are increasing at a faster rate. And so people are curious about the impact of that. And inflation brings with it higher development costs. So what does that mean for supply growth? And what does higher interest costs mean for future development as well? So people like to think about how does this higher cost environment flow through from the top line all the way to the bottom line, and what does that mean for growth long term? And our view would mean would be that we expect growth in the hotel industry of new hotels to slow dramatically, which over time benefits pricing power for hotels that exist already in terms of both their ability to raise rates and the value of that hard asset. So for anyone that has a hotel already, um, they should have a bright future in terms of less cannibalization going forward and a stronger ability to raise rates. So when you go back to the office segment, we, we talk a lot and spend a lot of time talking about the work, uh, the you know, work, what am I trying to say, balance or uh, work from work anywhere, work where, flexibility. Yeah, work from anywhere. But I'm, I'm hearing, and I don't know if this is true or not, and if you're, if the hotel segment is actually catching, uh, getting any of the benefit of this, but I've heard people say they've actually chosen to like work from a hotel for where they're at. Yeah. So 
we often think about you work from home, but I guess you can work also from a place you're traveling to, right? So I think that's why the hotel industry says work from anywhere. And you have seen a number <laughs> of the hotel companies specifically have packages where right. you can stay for an entire week. They give you upgraded Wi-Fi. They give you a location mm. to work. They bring you all the food. Um, and it's really been a promotion like okay. to your point, if you can work, why not work from anywhere? Uh, it will have a nice, beautiful image. You can work from the Caribbean. You know, why not work at the Hyatt Ziva Cancun? Um, definitely try <laughs> yeah, to yeah. encourage people to branch out and get out on the road. Do you and your um, office research counterpart ever debate, hey, wait a minute, don't take my people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I think it's it's kind of nice that we currently have this flexibility to work anywhere. And, uh, you know, there are places you'd you'd certainly rather work while you're traveling than not. So yeah, I, can, I can imagine. Um, well, thank you so much for your insight here, Rachel. It's been really, really valuable. I can't tell you how much I've learned on this um, podcast and I really enjoyed talking to you. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.